Welcome to the Shari Tzedek Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Here you'll find a live recording of just about every sermon, Devar Torah, teaching, or story from our Arab Shabbat and High Holy Day services. We know that you wish you could be with us more often, and we understand life getting in the way is not a bad thing. To live Jewishly is to understand that just as important as it is that Judaism happens in the synagogue, it's even more important to live Jewishly in your home and on your way. So here we are, in your home, on your way, maybe even on your morning run. If you ever have any questions or want to continue the discussion, let one of us know, and make sure you check out our live stream and YouTube channel for more ways that Shari Tzedek is available to you on demand. Keep an eye on your shofar and email so that when you're able, you can be with us as well. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Why are we here? And I mean all of us, those of us in the room, those of you at home, if you're there, you're here. So why are we here? Some of us are here to put our focus on turning over a new leaf for the new year. Some of us are here to see people in our community who we haven't seen in much longer than we'd like. Some of us are here to sing, and some of us are here to hear Cantor sing. And the very best of us, the cream of the crop, are here to pay close attention to the rabbi's long sermons. But I think a common answer as to why we're here at a prayer service on a holy day is simply to pray. But there's nothing simple about that. What does it mean to pray at these high holy days? And what does it mean to pray at all? Perhaps we can begin to find an answer in a story of Rabbi Israel ben Eliezer, known as the Baal Shem Tov, the master of the good name, who is considered the founder of the modern Hasidic movement. One year, on Rosh Hashanah, the Baal Shem Tov and his students arrived at a synagogue to pray. He opened the door, peeked in, and then promptly shut the door refusing to go inside. His students asked him, Rabbi, why won't you enter this synagogue? The Baal Shem Tov replied, it's too crowded. His students were baffled. There are plenty of open seats. We can find you a place of great honor in the congregation. The Baal Shem Tov shook his head. No, no, no. It's not too crowded with people. It's crowded with prayers. Stale prayers, meaningless prayers. They fill the synagogue from floor to ceiling, unable to rise up to the heavens. So these prayers sit there, staying on earth, taking up so much space that there's no more space left for me. The Baal Shem Tov and his students tried again. They went from synagogue to synagogue to no avail. Each time, the great Hasidic master would step at the, stop at the threshold and refuse to go inside. Finally, 
after searching all day, they found themselves at a little synagogue on the outskirts of town, cozy and rundown, with barely even a minion of 10 adult Jews inside. The Baal Shem Tov stepped through the doorway without hesitation. He looked up to the ceiling and then around the sanctuary, and he saw that the prayers of this community were ascending to their destination. There was room enough in here for him and his students to pray. This story holds an important message for us. And its lesson lies in the difference between these different communities. Each congregation said the same words and sang the same songs as they appeared in the High Holy Day Machsor. But the rabbi in the story felt something very different between them. What this tells us is that there is something more to prayer than just words or even music. We know this intuitively, and our ancestors knew this as well. In the Babylonian Talmud, in Tractate Brachot, we read, Hamit palel tsarich sheyechavein et libo bechulan. One who prays must focus their heart on all of the prayers. What we think and feel as we pray matters. And for those of us praying here and from home, there are a lot of distractions. We may find ourselves thinking about what we're going to have for lunch, or notice our hands subconsciously moving towards our pockets to check our phones. It's easy to read words on a page, but it's hard to focus our attention on the service when our minds are pulled in a million different directions. The rabbis understood this too. The passage from Talmud continues, and if one cannot focus their heart on all of them, focus on just one. So let's try that for a moment, focusing on one prayer. Before our Torah service, we read and sang the words of Avinu Malkenu before the ark. Avinu Malkenu, we have sinned and strayed, we ask God for compassion, an end to violence, sickness, and hunger, to renew us for a year of goodness. We cannot let these words pass us by. Each phrase can spark a conversation within us. How have I sinned, and what do I need to do to make up for it? How can I ask God for compassion? when I haven't been compassionate enough to others? How can I be the kind of person who helps to end the suffering of others in this world? This one prayer can help us start a process of self-renewal and growth. And that's just one prayer. We have whole services full of them. And our tradition calls upon us to contemplate these words of our High Holy Day liturgy. Rabbi Bachya Ibn Pakuda, who lived on the Spanish peninsula in the 11th century, wrote in his great work, Duties of the Heart, 
Know that the words that you form with your tongue are like the shell, but the meditation on those words, the iyun, are the fruit. And yet, prayer is also about more than just thinking. The words in the machsor are important and moving when we concentrate on them, but they are not prayer itself. Prayer can also provide the opportunity to get out of our heads and into our hearts. There is something here much deeper and much harder to put into words. Prayer can let us experience gratitude, helping us to appreciate what we have and inspiring us to care about what others need. Prayer can help remove the many obstacles and blockages that build up around our hearts, opening us up to our own feelings. It can connect us to the deepest parts of ourselves, inaccessible in other moments. It can connect us to our community and the people who pray alongside us. It can even connect us to our Creator, far beyond ourselves. Our lips, they recite these words. Our minds contemplate their meaning. Our souls reach out for a brief and profound moment of intimacy. Prayer does all of these things and more. And now I'd say, by this point in the sermon, you might be thinking to yourself, Rabbi, you've used the, prayer, the word prayer so many times that it no longer means anything. And I'm still not really sure what prayer is supposed to be. And that's kind of the point. It's a moving target. If I told you that prayer is talking to God and God listening and giving you everything you ask for, a lot of you would just roll your eyes. If I told you that prayer is a communal experience that you have with others, well, you can have that at a Bucks game. Um, and I did have to double check that the Bucks are actually playing. They're in the preseason. So you can go have those communal experiences if you want. If I said that prayer was about internalizing the words and ideas of the prayer book, well, that would be confusing because we don't all believe the same things in the same way. So where does this leave us? Here we are at the days of awe, yamim noraim, and we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to have some kind of experience that puts us in touch with our deepest selves, reconnects us to our community and our loved ones, and renews us for the year ahead, 5782, with all its joys and challenges. But we are faced with a paradox. Our tradition dictates the dates and times at which we're supposed to pray and provides the set of prayers that we are meant to recite. And yet we also have to express the yearnings of our own hearts. Abraham Joshua Heschel, a rabbi famous for saying that he prayed with his feet, protesting for civil rights in Selma, writes, this is a specific difficulty with Jewish prayer. There are laws, fixed texts. On the other hand, prayer is worship of the heart. 
the outpouring of the soul, a matter of devotion. Thus, Jewish prayer is guided by two opposite principles, order and outburst, regularity and spontaneity, uniformity and individuality, law and freedom. How do we authentically bring ourselves into services when the words are written by other people, many of whom lived hundreds or thousands of years ago? It might be surprising to hear this from a rabbi, but if there is a secret to this, I'm still trying to figure out what it is. But what I can share is what participating in a service like this one does for me. When anxiety takes hold, praying helps me find solid ground. I find joy in having shared moments with others. And yet, on a good day in a service, I need only one or two moments of what I would consider to be real prayer. In those moments, a piece of me briefly untethers from the world, letting out all the feelings I've been bottling up during the week as welcome guests in the house of my soul. For an instant, I envision and become my best self. And as soon as I realize I'm praying, the moment is gone. It's noticing the present, which the moment you notice it, is now the past. For me, a moment of true prayer is incredibly nourishing, even though it is fleeting. And interestingly, having a set time or space makes these unpredictable moments possible. It doesn't depend on how I'm feeling on a given day or how much time I've given myself to prepare. The time comes and I go hoping to find something precious. I like the way Rabbi Daniel Cohn puts it. When I come to pray, this is what I am. This is happening now, not because I've been told to do it, not because I'm under obligation to do it, not even because I currently have a need to be doing it, but rather, all of those circumstances are actually the means by which and the context within which I come to the fullness of the expression of what it is that I really am. And that's why I cannot offer a dictionary definition of prayer that works for all of us. Each of us is our prayer, and each of us is different. We each have our own beliefs, experiences, and temperaments that shape what praying can do for us and how to let it do that. With all of this in mind, I'll pose a question and offer a few answers. How can we let prayer help us in 5782? The first thing is something that you're already doing if you're hearing this sermon, which is joining us or any Jewish community for prayer services, even if you're not sure that it's really your thing. I know it can be intimidating. 
our lives are so busy, but our souls need to be cared for, just like our bodies. And you never know when praying will make the difference between uneasiness and peace of mind. And if you participate, even if it isn't earth-shaking, I guarantee you'll get something out of it, even if it's just spending time with nice people at the temple or on Zoom. Second, when you're participating in a service at the temple or at home, go with the flow. It's okay to let your mind wander a bit. If you're using a prayer book, it's okay to flip the pages and read whatever strikes you. Some of the most powerful moments of prayer happen when you're on a different page from everyone else. And as Jews, the people well known for arguing, we're often not on the same page anyway. So. And third, a shameless plug. Join me on the evenings of September 30th and October 7th for a workshop on prayer. It doesn't have a title yet, so I'm taking suggestions, but it's on those Thursday nights at 7.30. There is no one-size-fits-all approach to learning to pray, but we will have some great post-High Holy Day conversations about being more intentional in our prayer. I can't finish this sermon without addressing the elephant in the room. We are living in some of the most difficult times any of us have experienced. And much of what is taking place around us is painful. We cannot forget that prayer is also a way to express our longing for a better world. Rabbi Heschel, as always, put it best when he wrote, we pray because the disproportion of human misery and human compassion is so enormous. We pray because our grasp of the depth of suffering is comparable to the scope of perception of a butterfly flying over the Grand Canyon. We pray because of the experience of the dreadful incompatibility of how we live and what we sense. Prayer can help us give voice to the sadness we feel when the world around us fails to live up to our expectations. It can help us feel that sorrow and begin to transform it into action to build the kind of world that God wants for us. This year, there is so much potential in what prayer can do for us. And there's really no wrong way to do it. So my hope for all of us, all of us, for these high holy days, is that we are able to bring ourselves fully and authentically into this sanctuary and the sanctuaries of our homes. That we give ourselves the chance to pray in a way that gives us strength for the year ahead. I pray that each of us will listen to that deepest part of ourselves, the part that thirsts for connection, to begin to understand our own spiritual needs. And perhaps this is a place where some of those needs can be met. May our prayers on these days of awe rise to the heavens and lift us along with them. May each of us find the space that we need 
to express our hurt, our hope, and everything in between. Ken Yehi Ratzon, may this be God's will.